Well, once again, it's always a pleasure to have you guys hanging out with us. Hello, Swing Thought nerds. It's another episode of uh, the golf program that is listened to by avid players, Swing Thought devotees, STDs as we call them. Coach Tim is here. What's that, sir? Hundreds and hundreds. Oh, yeah. No, it's pretty impressive, really. Um, we're excited to have you along uh, another special episode. Uh, Coach Tim is here. And, of course, uh, it's uh, Golf Spiritual Leader. Uh, kind of a lot of topics today. Not the least of which, Tim and I played some tournament golf together. But that's not the story. I got to tell I roomed with uh, Coach Tim in a uh, at a golf tournament and uh i just it was such a we had such a good time but coach tim it was almost like at one point i'm like is coach tim hammered (laughs) (laughs) Um, what if that answer had been yes um would it matter that voice of course uh one of our favorite guests (laughs) and of course uh a big i'm a big fan of his Scott Fawcett's here. We'll get to Scott in a second from uh, Decade. You know him from, uh, I don't know, the 1,000th time we've mentioned Scott on the show. And to be fair to Coach Tim, it was, uh, he had a couple beers and uh, and we just had the, the, we had the greatest time. And uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. And we'll get to Scott Fawcett here in a second. But Tim, of course, we have to thank our uh, sponsors, TaylorMade. And um, it was fun playing golf with you and seeing you... Uh, Hit the uh, tailor-made stealth driver. Uh, you were hitting it pretty good. Yeah, I, I was. I felt really good with it. And interesting that not only did I feel good about it, but um, at my club, they are the demos are going out the door yeah. very, very, uh, well, hot, if you will. It's a hot item. And, uh, guys are loving them. The all-new uh, Stealth Carbon Wood by TaylorMade. Of course, you've seen everyone. Everyone is using it. I mean, Rory McIlroy, uh, Scheffler, all the TaylorMade guys. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, um, for better energy transfer and more ball speed. That's what it's all about. To learn more about the latest TaylorMade products, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. And I know that Fawcett is uh, working hard on his distance. I'm not going to talk about what he hits, but I can tell you, it's possible to get longer and uh, TaylorMade's Carbon Wood is one of the ways to get there. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. As well, we want to talk quickly about NeuroPeak Pro, precision breathing, heart rate variability, and, and a brain performance company that trains athletes, business, and medical professionals. Stars like Jordan Spieth, Bryson DeChambeau, and others are among the expansive list of professional, amateur, and collegiate athletes who have added NeuroPeak Pro's precision breathing training to their training regimes. I'm just going to break in and uh, let our listeners know, and maybe you, Howard, that uh, Charles Fitzsimmons is up to bat next week on our show. July uh, July 6th, we record it. And Charles is the one who introduced you, and I believe me, to NeuroPeak Pro. So we'll be able to go in depth with, um, with Charles on his experience uh, with that uh, app, uh, absolutely, and uh, you know it's interesting. The I, a lot of people have been into meditation. I know Fawcett is a big proponent of it. You and I have been doing it for years. But there's a meditative quality to the precision breathing regimen that I think, if you're serious about this game, and a lot of players listening to us are, uh, then you might want to check into it. 
I, I don't know. There's, you know, they, it's cliche to say, oh, well, there's a lot of next guests. It needs no introduction. But if there's somebody on our show that I don't need to introduce again, it's Scott Fawcett. Always a pleasure to be with you, Scott. Thanks for joining us again. Well, thanks for driving all the way across Toronto to see me a couple weeks ago when I was up there. Oh, uh, dude. Really? You know, that is so that is such bullshit. You literally you literally called me the day before or something. Hey, I'm doing something tomorrow. You want to join me? I'm like, yeah. Uh, you know, do you want to maybe talk about your quick visit here? It was such I, I was fascinated. Why were you in Toronto? Uh, well, so when I spoke at MIT a couple of uh, a couple months ago, the Toronto Raptors had the, the director of analytics. I talk all the time about the the poker form that I used to post on 10, 12 years ago called two plus two. And the Raptors director of analytics post in there a lot also. So we've kind of had a, a virtual dating relationship for <laughs> over a decade now. <clears throat> and so he actually had one of their scouts or someone, I don't actually remember exactly what her title was, come listen to my talk and she liked it. And so I honestly just went up there to play coach or play coach, play golf with coach nurse. And it's so funny because like, I definitely recognize half of what I teach. I'm just regurgitating from the mental side, Sam Harris and Tim Ferriss and just everybody else that I love. And here I'm going up to speak to an NBA champion head coach and we sit down and like in the first five seconds, somebody popped their head and like, Hey, congratulations. He's like, Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Whatever. Just the door. I was like, what's the congratulations? He's like, Oh, I just finished my, I think it was my, my PhD in philosophy applied to sports science or something like that. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I'm literally coming up here as though I'm going to tell you, did you know Phil Jackson used to get people to meditate and was into a bunch of Buddhist stuff? Like, <laughs> what am I doing? Like, it, not kidding, in five seconds flat. That said, we had we went and played golf and had a great conversation, and their, uh, their team psychologist and I have followed up several times since. And honestly, just up there to kind of explain the mental scorecard and the results that we've gotten from it and how, you know, just trying to find crossovers into basketball to where you can get people to really take the mental side of the game more importantly, because so much of what I talk about with it in golf is just the middle of the 18th fairway when you're trying to shoot your personal best. I don't care if that's 90 or 70 or a course record or win a tournament, your mind starts racing. So you've got to have a tool and a strategy ready in advance you know, if you, if you know something's coming, you can't let it take you by surprise. And so just going up there and honestly, I quickly realized <laughs> learning from them as much or more than they're going to learn anything from me was uh, so it was cool. It was really neat to see their training facilities and just all of it. It was uh, neat. And then I did just throw together a seminar. Why not? With uh, Nick Starchuk and some of my other Canadian buddies. And uh, yes, I did try to invite you about 90 no, seconds before it started because well, no, I knew you couldn't how, make it. How it's so first of all, no, you said to me, "Hey, could you could you throw together a seminar?" And I'm like, "Yeah, probably, but you know, it's Monday now, and you want to do it on Wednesday." Um, you know, I was going to ask you about the the live situation, and and I'm actually more now that I think of it, I'm more curious about what you thought and what you think. And put some perspective around Will Zalatoris, because I, I, I was watching the U.S. Open, and I, and I'm, I'm like a lot of people, I kept thinking about you, and I, I kept thinking about your relationship with this kid. So just remind us all, just very quickly, some of the origin story, and then what do you think of when you see what's, what's become of this, this young man who you knew as, a, as a, like a sort of early teen, I mean, right? 
he moved to Dallas when he turned nine and they joined my home course. And so I had played golf with them, but more than anything, like the, this was back whenever I was playing the corn Ferry tour, I went back and played professional golf at like 35 and six. And so it was during those two or three years that I was actually back basically playing full time. And then he's a junior golfer out there. So we used to do more than anything like chipping and putting contests and just everything when he was like nine to 12 or 13 years old. And he qualified for the U S junior when he was 12 and 13 well, and 14 and 15. But then it's funny because I was going to, I actually went back and, and read some of those threads on the online poker form the other day. And I, and I said in one of them, I've recently taken on a role of mentoring a 14 year old kid at my course. And it was interesting just to read it and kind of know the end of the movie and where we were going. And so the origin story of decade is I really did do a ton of work on, you know, like solving using shot link data and, you know, quad like launch monitor data in order to, to combine and solve course management. And then just because of having a cortisone shot go wrong in my right elbow the week before the Texas amateur in 2014, I've reached out to him and was just like, dude, let me caddy for you next week. And again, the, you know, the, the punchline is he was ranked 3,300 in the world at the time, hadn't won much more in a high school golf tournament. And I caddied for him and he won the Texas amateur by three um, and then went and caddied for me when we won the U.S. Junior. And next thing you know, I, I used to have to explain who Will was. And at this point, I do not have to. Anymore, so <laughs> no, that you don't. Like, that, that saves me five or six minutes on podcast and in my live seminar. I don't have to explain who he or DeChambeau is anymore. <laughs> so what about what were you thinking when you watch him have such amazing finishes at the PGA? He's in a playoff at the U.S. Open. He's in contention again. What were your thoughts while you're watching this? Honestly, it's just it's just so surreal. It really is. I mean, again, like I, I don't think that we're living in a simulation, but I certainly recognize that's in play and certainly possible. And then there's parts of me where I just watch stuff like this and I'm like, I feel like we're nearing the end of the simulation because they're just going to push me. How how far can we push this guy before he implodes because of thinking he's the greatest human on Earth or then all the stuff with my sister and everything. You just take it all in together where it's like. I don't know, man. It's just, it's too surreal. Again, it's just been crazy to watch a kid just go from, and again, I want to say nothing. He's just a normal, the Bryson ones is crazy as much as anything though. I mean, Bryson, when he went back to school after winning the U S amateur, I was like, why are you going to school? You, he wasn't really Mm -hmm. even playing for SMU. And he was like, well, I mean, I get an $800 a month stipend and I need it. This is a guy (laughs) that would be in, in six years would sign a nine figure deal. And he needed $800 a month. Like, I don't see how you wrap your head around that as a, as a young adult. And it's funny, like when people give NBA players who have a hard time for messing up these huge contracts, I'm like, it's more shocking. A hundred percent. Don't like the fact only five or 10% are making up a number out of total thin air is like, this is just so much money you give these kids. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Was, I could definitely go to that path a lot. <laughs> just well, since so staying up with, uh, staying with Will Zalatoris for a moment. One of the things that I find so engaging about watching him, particularly in a U.S. Open, is he does not have what one would call a model swing. He just gets it done. I mean, he gets, I don't know, how, how much does he weigh? 135 pounds soaking wet? But he's, actually, he gets, he's 175, dude. Really? He, he's like he's like an iceberg, which you can't see that, like in his legs. <laughs> oh, right. His legs, I mean, people are like, he wears tight pants. I'm like, no, his legs are huge, dude. Like, he's no. not fitting cowboy boots on. They, I mean, his legs are massive. Well, that's funny, but he looks like a one iron his oh, last week. That's one of the guys said, but he gets 
everything he can out of that golf swing, which is not what one would call a model swing. Um, his putting stroke gets a bit weird sometimes, but he gets it done. What do you think? What do you think's going on for him in terms of just his ability to deliver, particularly in the majors? Well, he he is just the most resilient person I've ever seen. I mean, again, he started having his putting issues when he was probably 13, 14. Like he, he had a couple of sleeper rounds where he just made everything that he remembers specifically in the U.S. junior and junior qualifying when he was 12 and 13. And I think the putting kind of issues started a little bit after that. I, I really do think that it, it's all tied into his going through a growth spurt and getting a little bit of nerve damage. Like, I, I really do believe that. Like, But this is what's funny and or frustrating as, you know, a guy who likes to consider you know himself one of Will's best friends. If you really look at the stats, like the announcers are quoting all these just irrelevant. He's 160th in you know, make rates from 48 feet. I'm like, well, have you controlled the sample size? Cause 48 feet's a big four to eight feet is a big window. Maybe he has just a few more eight footers in there than four footers than the average. I'm not saying it is or isn't, but the most important one is you use strokes gain putting um, as kind of a, a catch all. And it's a great stat. It, it, it combines proximity and make rates and blah, blah, blah into one distillable number um, or usable number distills it down in one usable number. Um, but the majors aren't in there when he lost at Torrey Pines. The North course is not, doesn't have shot link set up. And he told me he made everything there. The match play where he finished fifth isn't in there. And so data golf is another, you know, bunch of golf nerds like me and they do great work. I mean, they're way better at data analytics than I am. They do great work with getting in there for, for gambling purposes, which is not my interest. Um, and if you bring in the majors and the WGC, um, they, they don't have anything for the North course, I don't think. But if you bring those in, he's actually like plus 0.17 on the year. He puts him like 45th yeah. on tour. Like, I get it aesthetically. You might not like it, but it's not awful. Oh, no, I'm going to say that. Like, I think that that, that narrative. Not awful. But, you know, and, and as being a broadcaster and a fan of golf broadcasts, that, that is something that it's t- I find it tiresome because they have a, it's almost like they have a rotating series of things they say they say oh you know if i I got so tired of announcers calling uh, um, uh, bryson is the scientist and but he also has you know what i mean like and rory plays by feel so zalatoris's narrative was great ball striker can't putt but obviously he can because in the highest level that they play at he seems to persevere and prevail and his putting is good to decent but I'm more interested, too, really, to ask you, when you watch him now, knowing him as you do, do you see Decade manifested? I mean, yeah. it's. I mean, well, I mean, you know, it's a video I've got on my Twitter page right now. On Saturday, after his after the third round, they've got him in the booth, and he's just, they're just talking about him making putts. He's like, yeah, you just kind of roll it at the hole and let the hole jump in the wave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's a direct quote. I can assure you of that. Uh, but it is. This is what's interesting. Putting, putting is is just so hard. I'm I'm aware that there are amazing all time putters like a Brad Faxon. I, I get it, but for the most part, it's it is variance. And the way you increase your variance is by having great speed control. And just a few times a year, the hole will happen to jump in the way of a bunch of putts, and then you'll tap in a whole bunch on the weeks that it doesn't. So you'll just sit there and print money and four to eight times a year, depending on how good your ball striking is, obviously you can't just make a generic statement like this, but for a guy like will four to eight times a year, he's going to make a slightly disproportionate number of putts. 
And there you go. And so even if a, if an eight foot punt is is fifty fifty on tour, it's not like you go make miss, make miss, make miss, make miss. It's just like a coin toss. Honestly, it's probably even less like a coin toss because you really do have stretches where you go make, 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 miss, miss, make, miss, 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 which coin tosses are going to stand to be much more standardized um, than what your eight foot make rates probably are. But at the end of the day, it's just a coin toss. So it's like the, the putt on the 72nd hole at Tory that he misses to, to win. And it's easy to be like, well, he choked. That was a makeable putt. Like, well, first of all, it was nine feet, four inches. Just generically, a nine footer is 45%. As Lou Stagner, who also does great work with the data, shows as you get later in the day, the guys who tee off consistently in the last hour, I think his number is like a, it's like a quarter of a shot penalty on the greens. So now you get a kid who's putting in the last groups all the time or a guy like DJ who's just – and so they've got a big penalty on Saturday and Sunday. So now you've got Will's nine-foot, four-inch putt that is on Poe, uphill, last group of the day. I bet that putt's not much more than like a 37 or 40% make rate, let alone the fact that it's to win your first tournament. Like it's just – it's not it's it's not interesting. He missed it. I mean – it would be cooler if it went in, but the fact that it didn't isn't doesn't tell us anything at all. Scott, I want to kind of zoom out a little bit uh, to more sort of look at what you've learned, quite frankly, in the last couple of years, because you and Decade have really exponentially grown in awareness among golfers. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's mentioned by by PJ Tour announcers, that, that kind of thing on TV. So the awareness has grown, and so there's much more conversation. But I'm wondering, what have you learned? What is some new things that have come to you in the last little while? You know, I, I don't know if anything new, but I just, I explained. I just greater insights, if you will. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just constantly finding new and different ways to explain the same ideas and then using more relevant and recent examples. I mean, Honestly, with the stuff that I did with Davis Riley earlier this year, Davis is, and I were down hitting balls on the other end of the range the week before he lost in a playoff at, um, at Innisbrook. And I've got number 15, which is a par three at Innisbrook, in a number of my videos now in the app. And I do it because the hole is 200 yards long. The green is 28 yards wide. The scoring average on that hole is 3.2, or it was a 3.2 this day that I generically use it. And I'm just explaining to Davis, like he's hitting six irons. He's not hitting them outside of a 28-yard wide pattern, but he's hitting them all over that 28 yards. I'm like, dude, if you aim this six iron at the dead center of that green, you didn't even try to shape it to a left pin, like literally dead center. You're going to cover that green, and you're going to make some birdies by luck of just happening and hit close, and you're going to three-putt some just by bad luck of being on the wrong side of the green. But overall, if you just spread balls all over that green, you should be able to average about two putts to almost any hole location mainly because you're going to make some putts to offset the three putts. Mm -hmm. Well, so the thing when people say, like, I want to win, like, okay, well, do you want to win? So I got to get to 16 this week. Well, first of all, that's a number you're making up. The one number, though, that is extremely consistent is this idea of we've got to get 12 to 14 shots clear of the field average. So when Zach Johnson won the Masters, he was one over, and he was 14 shots clear of the field average. And when Cameron Smith won the tournament champions earlier this year, he was 34 under, and he was 14 shots clear of the field average. So now let's go back to that par three, where if we could average three on it, and again, this isn't perfect math. They would shred this apart at MIT. It's the idea that I'm explaining. If you could average 
three on that hole with a 3.2, you're gaining 0.2 shots on the average, which is 14.4 shots if you did that 72 72 times. Like, parring that hole is almost the equivalent. And you could just kind of see his face, like, going, I mean, that's... Again, it's not great math, but it, it, I see it. And then when you look at his results, going into that w- tournament, he had missed one, two, three, four, five, six-ish cuts. And he missed about half of his cuts. And since then, he's gone second, 63rd, 4th, 5th, ninth, 13th, 4th, 31st. Like, and, and, and what's interesting about his evolution, you know, pre-decade, post-decade, his ball striking. I wouldn't even. But again, I want to make it very clear. Like I wouldn't even say that because it was like literally he and I just talking for twenty minutes. I mean, he's had the app, and he and I have discussed decade before. But I'm just saying, like, well, I'm this just, is just yeah, kind just, of I'm tightening ta- up a thought. Yeah, I'm just talking about pre this uh, a pre sort of strategic awakening, if you will. But it's interesting because if you look at his ball striking stats, and I sort of follow this kid as well. Like he's an amazing. You know, amazing golf ball striker. And yet you think, okay, at the highest level, and this guy's one on the corn ferry, he's an amazing player, but just a little strategic reconfiguration gave him, I, he didn't get any better as a ball striker, but all of a sudden, strategy wise, he was making less others, more birdies, ha- higher finishes. And my question is going to be how do we take that and apply it to? Joe average golfer uh, sorry I don't see gender anymore just average human golfer I'm so woke it's ridiculous so how do we apply that to the average player that's listening how do they think about their rounds if they're having struggling breaking 80 and they realize three or four times a round they're just pissing away strokes needlessly I mean, the utopian answer to me is to just literally stay out of score completely. And again, this is where the reason I say utopian is, in my opinion, the perfect world is you literally have no idea what you are to par. You have no idea where you stand in the tournament. And again, I get it. Like, that's impossible to do. But and, and again, you hear the greats of all time, JT, Tiger, like the greatest players will. Like, yeah, I look at scoreboards. I want to know where I stand. I'm like, that's totally fine as long as it doesn't consume you. You have to be introspective to realize like, yeah, but it's making me fixate on outcome too much because then that's going to implode at some point. And the real key, like, again, I finally started to play some more tournaments myself and I played my club championship a couple weeks ago and I could tell with like nine holes to go. I'm paired with Romo and the and another guy who was, who was leading playing good golf and I could see them both on their phone and kind of getting – you know, a little bit of energy going up. And then the caddy asked me, he's like, do you want to know where you stand? I'm like, I started to say yes, but I'm also like, I'm trying to walk the walk. Like, no, I don't care. Like it really, it, it, cause then I'm just, I'm just like picking at the threads. Like, is there anything that this would actually change? And that answer is no, like mm-hmm. it really isn't necessary. Um, and again, I was and am the, like the biggest scoreboard watcher ever, but just like the, I've just played in the Texas Am uh, two weeks ago. And honestly, I thought that I was in by a mile on making the cut, like for sure in by a mile. And I, I get in and I made the cut by one. Like, again, I don't think it's like I would have choked or something coming in, but the 18th hole was super tight with trees along the left bunkers on the right. Like it was like 30 yards wide. And I was just like, well, if I just send driver up there, I'll only have a couple of trees to go through unless I'm dead stymied. I can get it up and around the green somewhere for sure. I can chip it on, make bogey. I'll make the cut. Like that's definitely what my thought process was. I mean, it was driver regardless, but that was what my thought process Mm -hmm. was. 
And then when I get in, it's like, oh, shoot. I think I made it. I think I made it by two, but it was really close there for a little bit. And then some people died after a rain delay in the second round, apparently, because it went from like I was on like I was I was watching. I was like, wow, I actually am going to make this on the number. And I I think I wound up making it by two, but it was only because of people dying, not because of good golf. Yeah. How did you uh, do in the club championship? Uh, honestly, I, I don't. I know I didn't win. I think I finished third. Did Tony <laughs> Romo win? Your, are you that cool that Tony Romo was in your group and he won the club championship? No, Romo and I tied. All right. No, he, he, it was. I'm trying to think of um, uh, John Yerger won it. I heard a uh, uh, young tour pro that plays out of your course talk about Romo as uh, sort of sort of half joking that. Romo is a uh, like a, a benefit a benefactor to all these young pros because they take a lot of money from them. Uh, <laughs> I would say he takes a lot of money from them. A lot of them won't play him anymore. Oh, really? He, uh, yeah, he's not a free. He, he uses every ounce of his uh, strokes and everything. He uh, well, he's like a plus three or four, isn't he? Yeah, well, he's still catching about six from these guys. Wow. <laughs> yeah, God no, Lord. A number of them won't play with him anymore. But uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about you is that you put yourself out there. There's videos of you playing with other folks. You talk about playing in like your Texas State Amateur, your Club C, because it is really hard to walk the talk, isn't it? I mean, I'm just like, you know, when I play sometimes I go, hey, I'm supposed to be a freaking coach and I'm seven over par. I mean, what the hell? It's it, that's part of the difficulty of this game. My point is, is that using your awareness around, you know, what about getting caught in score and and your expectations and your judgments about yourself. That to me is just that's one of the hardest parts of golf. Well, yeah, there's I mean, there's literally just no doubt about it. I mean, and that's what I have to tell people all the time. And I use the word objective now more than any other word, probably in the dictionary, because I'm like, you have to be able to very objectively look at yourself and what's going on with your decisions and your heat of the moment. Uh, like you got to be able to like be honest. Well, in the second round, so it was a 175 degrees here. Like it was, <laughs> you two would have literally melted. It was comical, but I've had, as I keep on muting this thing to cough, I've had this cough for like three months that I can't kick and I've gone on three different rounds of steroids. And here's my, again, this is, I'm, I'm consciously making excuses, but then I'm also like, well, was, is that bullshit or not? And, and looking at it, I mean, I literally sweat so much on Thursday. I think it's the steroid and the decongestion combo that I was on that I was like, I'm going to track how much water I drank in the second round. I drank 40 pounds of water in the <laughs> second round. Didn't go to the bathroom for 24 hours and lost five pounds. And again, I'm only bringing it up because like, the last three holes on Thursday, I swear to you that the, the eighth hole is drivable. It's 340. I had a 125 yards coming back from the I, That's how far right I hit it. I was trying to put it in the fringe of the screen, and I had one. Thank God number nine was over there. But I did that on seven, eight, and nine, my last three holes. And I get up there in the first tee in the second round, and it's right there by the putting green, you know, whatever, with all due arrogance, I'm Scott Fawcett. So definitely there's like 30 college kids, and they're going to watch me hit a drive, and I proceeded to hit it 125 yards right again because I forgot <laughs> my swing key is to make sure that I'm not just standing up from being so tired, which then I just blow it straight right. So I'm yeah, kind of feel like it. I'm not, uh, not early extending. 
And it was embarrassing. But then as I've, I hammered this, I've, I've remembered my swing key, hammered the second one, but then I was having to, re, to really be objective with like, not the word choke is the wrong word, but was I just a little nervous and thinking too much about them watching me? And yeah. that's why I forgot my swing key or like, how did I forget that key in that moment? And then let's don't do that again. Yeah, but you know, Scott, and, and Tim brings up a great point. Um, because all three of us, you know, we have these podcasts. You've got a reputation. You've, you know, Tim coaches people. You know, I'm, I've been uh, helping people through decade. And I've got an answer to this group of guys that I'm, you know, in. How did you do this weekend, GSL? And, you know, or, and they can see my scores in tournaments online. And it definitely can be part of the thing that gets in our head. But also, you know, I, I think back to Maltby said this years ago, if you want to be a professional golfer, and I would say, if you want to play tournament golf uh in our case you have to be comfortable with a certain amount of humiliation because it just comes with the territory one of the reasons most guys never play the club championship and and even fewer guys ever go and play outside of their club is because it's unnerving to post your number and and you have to be comfortable being okay because sometimes that number maybe doesn't correspond with what we think of ourselves as golfers well, I mean, again, one of my main things that I have a tendency to do also probably goes hand in hand with the early extension is I get my weight out on my toes a little bit and I'll shank one every once in a while. And it's super embarrassing, let alone if you do it in a tournament in front of people or whatever. Well, I did a practice round for the state am shanked this shot. And it's just like so embarrassing because it's like, oh, my God. But then you see JT <laughs> shank one in yep. the final round of the PGA in route to winning it. You know, you see Zalatoris miss some short putts. I do think that getting back to that whole idea of just being resilient, it's incredible how resilient these people are. And I saw somebody post online this weekend, uh, yesterday rather, about Lexi blading a chip or something. Oh, right. And I know obviously she struggles with some short putts. And so I just went to find it. I wanted to see what it looked like. And it was just an amazing, like, just a total convulsion down at the ball and just bladed it. But then, like, I can't remember if it was a hole later or a hole before. This putt could not have been 15 inches, and she took her time on it, and she didn't hit the hole. The resilience to do that and just get right back up, and wherever the next major is, I'll see you there. Yeah, it's. I think it's incredible. And, again, I, I do look at, like, myself personally, and I wonder, like, I don't have that in me. Well, I was going to say to another Maltby quote that I love, and it it goes to what we're talking about is he said once he said, golf is easy. Golf's an easy game until you care. And whether that's the U S open or your club C once you have a, you know, some expectation around uh, an outcome, Tim, what do you want to say? Well, that's exactly what I wanted to connect to was the whole thing about expectations. And, and I love that phrase that I think you invented it i don't know you borrowed it scott is expectation management yeah that is just huge because you can you can do everything you need to do to make a four foot putt and miss the damn thing Mm -hmm. and it happens but it's so easy to get caught in the story oh no i'm two over after two or something like that and oh i'm supposed to be this to me it's having the awareness to catch oh there i am i'm doing that thing again about what I'm supposed to be like. And the sooner I can, that awareness can kick in, and then just then I can let that go. But that is so freaking hard. Well, you, you say like invented the phrase or whatever. Like there's, there's two or three things that I look back at. Not that I'm glad I did, but I'm lucky I did, to be perfectly honest. 
I'm lucky I wrote a thread on that online poker forum back in 2011, June of 2011, that was titled, Is Dry for Show, Putt for Doe Really True? Because I definitely catch a lot of grief from people saying that all I've done is copy Mark Brody's book and treat it like it's mine. I'm like, no, I was thinking about this over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like he created strokes gain for sure, but I for sure am the one that, you know, went down the strategy rabbit hole. Like he's a data guy. So his brain was like, wow, we're going to make some ma- amazing statistics. I'm a player. So my thought was, wow, we can use this to solve course management that one, but then also taking decade, it's just an acronym. And the first E of decade is expectation, which that's the exact reason why yeah, I'm yeah, just but lucky. I, let me just jump in. He may have done strokes game, but you put it in context for golfers. Cause I read, I remember reading Brody's book and to be honest with you, I found it confusing. I'm not that smart, but, but decade, I think puts those things strokes gained from wherever you are in the golf course into some kind of context. Well, it just makes it, it makes it usable for the game of golf. Again, right. Mark's, Mark's view was like, we're going to figure out how to help people play better golf, which is obviously a great view. He's a, he's a professor at an Ivy League business school. So he needs to know, what did you make on your final? If it was 70, we've got some work to do. If it was 95, you're probably doing pretty good. That's the way statistics work. What do we need to get better on? So he did the, the thing that his brain sees. Um, and, and there's a strategy chapter in it. I mean, the book was released in, uh, in April of 2014, which is why people think that all I did was copy out i'm like well no because again i can show you back in the end of 2013 and early 14 where we was, was first creating uh the the decade spreadsheets in order to solve this and then yeah once you get the book and you read it all and you get the final numbers to plug in it's all right there again it's just my brain sees scoring his brain sees improvement mm-hmm. um but then the idea of expectation management again that's obviously one of lou's big hashtags is either expectation management and your expectations something like that and it's like I'm lucky that I used the letter E for expectation to be able to be like, no, I put that flag in the ground mm-hmm. for sure way back then. Cause I catch people all the time too saying like, you're just regurgitating him. I'm like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's a, know that I know. I, I know personally that's a bit of a bone <laughs> of contention, Timmy. Well, I was going to say that that to me is one of the, the things that you've done for golfers. I think Scott is allowed us to be more objective. I mean, you look at these at, at the stats yep. and just the simple one of, I believe it's the one uh, PGA tour players only make 50% of the eight footers. When we consider that it makes things a lot easier, but it's keeping that in context as we play. That to me is the hard part. But one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, so here's a real world situation. That I think a lot of golfers will will find themselves in or considering. So uh, this junior golfer, he's maybe about a two handicap, wants to become a a, a, a PGA Tour player and all this kind of thing, and he gets in tournaments and he's, he's he's got one of those fathers who walks every round with him, every round, and the father says to me, you know what? When he falls behind, he's got to get more aggressive. He's got to make more birdies. What would you say to that father if you heard that, if you heard him say that? Probably nothing because I don't feel like arguing with somebody who's not going to listen to me. (laughs) If I thought he would listen to me. (laughs) That's just not what what people say. Like this would be a similar to maybe I've got all my canned jokes out there that I'm ruining for my seminars. But people say like, what if I'm what if I'm three down with three to play? I'm like, we should have played the first 15 holes better. (laughs) (laughs) This probably isn't going to work out well for you today. That's what I would tell that dad is like, well, guess what? 
he's probably not going to win today. But you know what? They give points for third and whatever ladder you're trying to climb. Let's shoot 74 today. Let's don't turn a 74 into a 77 because that really is what drives the college coaches crazy is watching a kid. There's I wish I would have screenshot this one. There's a a Facebook post from a a college coach has to be six years ago. Now it was forever ago. And he says he just said that he had one of his players made the turn. He said, don't worry, coach, I'm going to I'm going to get a few back here. And he said, just stop giving them away. Yeah. No, that's that's what's funny. That's what's funny about strategy, though, is people think like they, they ask me again all the time, like, well, if I'm playing really good, can I get more aggressive than decade says? And just because I don't feel like arguing about it, I'm like, sure, whatever. Take a yard off the baseline. Like, no, but if that'll make you happier. But what's funny is we all actually play more aggressive when we're playing bad because we're chasing our tail. Mm-hmm. And it is so weird if you, again, objectively think about it. You're like, you know what? That's true. It really is totally true that you play more aggressive typically when you're playing worse uh, because of that idea that I've like, and again, it's just a story and, and it doesn't mean anything in the real world, but thinking that you've made a mistake and saying things like, I've got to get that one back somewhere in your subconscious. And I totally agree with this because I've experienced it where you think you're in a deficit or a scarcity you're in a scarcity mode where you think, okay, something has been taken away. And this is where I wanted to kind of finish up with you today, which is, you know, one well, of the... It, go ahead. Can, can you hold that one thought? Yeah, yeah. Don't forget where you're going. Oh, I don't no, I, forget oh I won't, young man. Don't, don't forget where you're going with that. Because, again, the main thing that I would want to finish off to that dad is, you, again, you really are grinding out solid finishes you yes. just don't win very often in this game so winning just can't be the goal but what's funny is i just happened to look over here as i was refreshing this one thing looking for something else and it just happened to have top 10 finishes here and when i look at this year's top 10 finishes scotty scheffler well i've worked with his caddy for about four years now sam burns scotty's leading justin thomas i've never worked with the next ones are sam burns who i worked with for five years fitzpatrick who i worked with for about two years he pays me to work with his brother zalatoris is in third so i've got one two three four guys that i'm somewhat tied to at a minimum tied for third then if you go to six morikawa attended my seminar in college keith mitchell i started working with this year and davis riley like there's like nine guys tied for ninth or better in total top tens this year that i've had some influence on some way or another so how, do you relate that? so how do you relate that to the conversation with the dad? Let's grind out top 10. Yeah, I get that. No, I got that. That that it's not because here's the thing. And, and, and I'll get back to my original point. But one of the things that really stuck out with me this year is uh, talking to somebody. I can't remember who it was, but I brought it up on the show with Tim. I said, you know, if you are only going to get confidence from your results, you're always going to be at the you know vagaries of the fragility yeah. of golf but if you're if you're playing and you're like you know again i know i haven't said it recently but if you if you're trying to score the lowest you can from wherever you are in the golf course even when you're not winning which we all do so rarely that winning can't that can a win can be did i did i turn the 77 into a 74 did i like you know when i play with guys and i see somebody sink an 8 foot putt for bogey i always say the same thing i say way to hang in there because it's in the hanging in there if you hang in enough eventually you'll get a shot at maybe winning but it's in the hanging in that is the win i think well, if you're playing in an event where you really should do have a high expectation of winning, you probably need to move up. <laughs> yeah, like, I get it. I mean, sure, in your, if you're in your club championship, but even like with all due arrogance, back whenever I was playing at my home course, Bent Tree, 
I, I don't even, I honestly have no idea how many times I won the club championship. I would think three or four, but it might've been two. I really don't know, but I play, I probably won it a third to half the time I played in it. And I was by far the best player at the club. Right. And yet you're just not going to beat like in tennis. If I'm better than you, I'm probably going to beat you that day. And then if I just have to play one person a day, the odds of winning the tournament, like the French is just for Nadal, if it's 0.99 times 0.99 times 0.9, like all the way through, like, yeah, there's a really good chance. Right. But if he had to play everyone at once, somehow the game of tennis could be reorganized. It's going to be a lot harder to beat 144 guys at once than just one six matches in a row. Um, so let me get to my point, and I'm going to let Scott go because Tim and I have to unpack our. Uh, we roomed together. We played a tournament together. It's a lot of stuff going on. Played alternate shot. Played together. alternate shot together, which was awesome. I will just quickly, briefly set this up by saying, of all the things that I've learned from Scott and being a decade devotee and all that stuff, one of the most stark lessons that has come to it's happened to me recently. And, and I tell this to people, and they don't seem to get it, that it's easier, forget all the great things, winning is a matter of luck, stop trying to make birdies, etc. But one of the things that I have learned from Fawcett, and I want everyone to, this is the takeaway for decade today, that it's easier not to do things than it is to do things. You know, we've talked about the difference between somebody that shoots 75 and 89. It's not five birdies. It's less than one around. And the reason I bring it up is in the last three or four weeks, I have been on a tear. I've made more birdies per round statistically this year than I did at any time last year. I was clocking in around two point something. I've made four and five birdies around for a lot of rounds of golf in the last month. So to your point, the hole is starting to get in the way. But in that, in, those, in that cohort of rounds I've had, let's call it 10 or 12, I've shot 67 with five birdies, and I've shot 76 recently with five birdies. So what's the difference? In the round of 76, I had three, count them, three two chips. Got into a couple bunkers, couldn't get out. I had three three putts. Just didn't judge the speed right. I had two double bogeys. Do I normally make 0.3 double bogeys in a round? So that to me was like a great reminder that if you're going to make some birdies, it doesn't really matter if you're going to make two doubles, two, three, 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 two chips and three, three putts. And that's kind of what I wanted to finish off with you about how that lesson is, is easy to understand, I think, but, but hard to put into practice for people. You turned your mic off. Yeah, uh, you're muted, Scott. There you go. Sorry, I was coughing. Yeah, yeah. That's I try to be very clear. Just like what I teach is impossible to do. Like, well, then isn't doesn't that mean it sucks? Like, (laughs) no. I hope we're just trying to get as close to that as we can. Again, to to go back to the example of like focusing on your scores or not. Like, literally having no clue where you stand apart is, in my opinion, utopian. Yeah. And on the far other end of the distribution curve is is being just totally focused on every single shot and knowing exactly where you stand and just letting your mind race. Well, we want to get as far to the other side of the curve from that as possible. And that's it. So just because it's impossible to have no idea where you stand apart doesn't mean you can't get closer to that. And most importantly, again, back to the whole meditation thing is just always, I used to think that the point of meditation was to have no thoughts 
It's not to do that. It's just to recognize the ruminating thought pattern before it spirals out of control. That's it. And so most people start ruminating on the cut line or what it's going to take to win. And these things that basically are, it's irrelevant information anyways. I mean, even if somebody told me you had actually, Scott, you had to birdie the last hole to, to make the cut. Nothing would have changed. Like it's still, it's, I you still, still got to play the, play the, the exact hole. Exactly. Way. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Scott Fawcett. Um, I appreciate you. And, uh, and I appreciate you coming on our show. Uh, we will catch up with you hopefully another time before the uh, snow flies up here. Uh, <laughs> great. I follow Scott on Twitter. I think everyone should. It's great information, but also very much like we do here on the show that he shares the, the good and the bad. And I think I, you know, I, I, I followed you during your Texas Am Odyssey and I, you know, I think it's fascinating to see somebody that plays at the level that you do that, that's, that we all can still learn that golf's hard and, uh, you know, sometimes it's your day and sometimes the variance gets in the way and sometimes it, it goes the other way. But it's all, you know, it's all part of it. And, and the psychology of expectation management is really one of the great takeaways. And as you say over and over again, if you can keep track of no other statistic other than your mental scorecard, you're going to be you're going to be ahead of the game thousand percent all right my friend thanks uh, enjoy you guys too yeah hey, take care better, my right? yeah all the best to you all right guys take look, care and scott fawcett over there look at him sweet man he's one of the great americans <laughs> take care my buddy right, uh we'll con- yeah we'll continue now um there's a lot to unpack i don't even know where to start um, I had two beers, okay? I know, I know. But here's what I noticed about you. Like, I was, I, um, you were great. I, I just, at one point, we were in the room, and I was reading, and uh, you were, we had the hockey game on, and uh, you were chatting to me, and then we would watch the hockey game for a bit, and then you just kept on talking to me, and then finally I said, are we going to? Are we going to just have any quiet time at this point? <laughs> you were all excited, and I, I loved it. We had a good time together. Um, why don't you, uh, so forget the uh, the rooming together, which we've done. Now that we've done that, we were respectful. We uh, No one had to uh, go sleep on the, in their car. I will say this about you. Very, I told you the next morning, you're very similar to my other partner, Fred. Oh, you're both very gentle. No. Um, <laughs> what I noticed about you is about 10 o'clock, we were watching the Tampa Bay game. And you said, okay, I'm going to go to sleep. And I had my headphones on. I was listening to a podcast. And you turned the light off. And honestly, about 10 seconds later, I heard this noise. And I wasn't sure what it was. I thought it was the fan or something. And it was you had gone to sleep. And I said to you the next morning, it reminded me of rooming with Fred. Because Fred was literally in the middle of saying something to me, and he fell asleep in the middle of a sentence. You fell asleep so fast that I didn't know that that noise was you making just sort of sleepy sounds. Not snoring, but just like, I was like, God damn, O'Connor. I was so jealous of that. I come by that very honestly. My father could, I remember... I remember once it was a party and he had a few pops, but I remember him talking to some buddies and me in the, in the kitchen and he's talking away. It's <laughs> <laughs> like the machine just ran at energy. And well, died. I tell you what, of, of, of so many of the things that were fun to hang out with, uh, that was one of the most impressive uh, <laughs> moments. Um, so I was talking about making five, five birdies in a round of golf and shooting 76. That round was the first round of the club championship. 
Um, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I didn't uh, repeat, and uh, I got beat, and um, I was uh, disappointed mm-hmm. um, with how I played. Um, I was uh, less than the results I wanted, and um, but I, I, I had a I had a really good round going on the first round. I would made four birdies in the first ten holes, five birdies in the first fourteen holes, and I finished uh, bogey, bogey, par, double bogey to shoot seventy six. Like I, I was one hour away from shooting even par in a, in a round where I would have expected to sort of finish similarly, and I didn't. And so instead of being one or two back, I was five back after the first round. And then the second round, not that I gave up, but after the front nine where I was only a couple over, I, I looked at the scores because I wanted to see what the leaders were doing. I was in the second last group. And they were so far ahead of me, like seven or eight shots. Again, not that I gave up, but I'm only human. I just sort of lost. And my, my buddy Henrik followed me around for a few holes. And uh, he sort of described it like, I could see you were trying, but the energy came, was out of you, you know, and I I just lost enthusiasm for the experience. At some point in the back nine Sunday, I was like, you know, whether I finished third or fourth or eighth at that point didn't really interest me, I guess, uh, somewhere in my subconscious. And I made a couple of late doubles. I made three doubles on the back nine. Again, I was having sort of a decent-ish round of golf and... You know, instead of shooting 75 or 6, I shot 81. Again, the score doesn't matter, but I, I, it took me a few hours to forgive myself is what I wanted to share with everyone. Is I, 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 I haven't even talked to my de- decade guys because for a couple of days I was like, you know, what does this mean? What does it say about me? And I sort of come out of it with the conclusion that I play a lot of tournament golf. Those rounds of golf on the weekends were the third and fourth tournament round in five days. So I kind of, I think, ran out of gas a little bit. The fact that I wasn't in contention, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm going to finish by saying that how I forgave myself, I'm being somewhat sarcastic, is just to realize that like a lot of people that play tournament golf, say tour players, you know, you don't have your good stuff. Fawcett just said, if you can have four to six good weeks a year, you know, that's amazing. Well, yep. I already, you know, that last week I played with you, my dear friend. We had a wonderful time. The day before, I qualified again for the Ontario Senior Amateur. Played great. You know, had a, a great ball striking day. Didn't putt great, but I still qualified. So I looked at it like pretty successful week. And, you know, after Monday's sort of sulkathon, you know, I had a bit of a salt going on. I, you know, I, I did. I spent the day with my kids, which got me out of golf and reminded me that I'm not just a golfer. I'm somebody's dad and just a beautiful day with my daughters. And by Tuesday, I was like, OK, it's time to get back to work. And, you know, I had a great practice session and I felt great about the experience. Now to you, young man. Well, I find that so interesting that particularly about the energy Um now, it wasn't like you'd made mistakes or or anything like that or you weren't up to the task or any nonsense like that. I really think that so much of it has to do with our energy and and kind of the wisdom of the body. And yeah, I had thought about that. I thought, wait, you played in a senior qualifier in which you had to like drive, you know, get up really early on Wednesday to get to. You play in that thing, you have to drive three and a half hours or so to Soggy and Shore, uh, Port Elgin, 
that's, that's where we stayed. And then you played the next day with me, 27 holes. You had a couple days, a day off at least, and then you're going to play in your senior club. See, that's a lot of freaking golf. And whether you're 62 or 32, you've only got so much energy. And I think that once you you realize that, yeah, I'm seven or eight back, the body just went, time to relax. Yeah. No, absolutely. And you don't have the energy. In the same way, I was talking with uh, an STD yesterday who's start he he's working on transitioning out of his of his current job he's he's in his 60s and he just doesn't think he needs he just doesn't want to work that hard and doesn't want to but what he finds is that on monday and tuesday afternoons he can work those mornings and feel pretty good but by the afternoon done he just Mm -hmm. wants to he has no energy and i think it comes back to the wisdom of the body it says you know what you're done here it's time to move on because I really think that we often trick ourselves with thinking about things or I should be here. And that's why I think that faucets, uh, I love this the whole aspect of expectation management. As soon as we get into the shoulds and that kind of stuff, it, it's just ego trickery. And I really think that the, the body is brilliant, but we don't pay it enough attention. No, I, I and, and, you know, when Fawcett was talking about one of his results, he said, you know, it's not an excuse. And what I was going to jump in and say, well, OK, I'm not giving you an excuse for how I play, but I am giving an explanation. And as much for myself. And listen, I had a conversation with a friend of the show for about a half an hour before we started recording today. I reached out to him because I wanted to get some comfort and It turned out that I was comfort to him because he had the exact same experience at his club C on the weekend. He's a really good player that had higher than, you know, what he would have liked scores. And and we had this deep conversation about, you know, you know, just how how it brings up old wounds and how we start what we think about ourselves. And and this woman that I've been working with. Uh, in the States for the last couple of months. And what what she would say is one of the reasons we want to shoot well is because then we get to feel good about ourselves. You know, the Mm -hmm. trick is, and I said this to him, the trick is to be able to feel good about yourself, whether you shoot the number that you think is, you know, whatever that number is where, you know, 78 is a good score, 83 is a bad, you know what I mean? And it's so, I guess what I'm getting at is it's universal. We all have these feelings. And whether you're a scratch golfer like me or a 15 handicap, it doesn't matter. If you don't live up to some phantom expectation of your own ability, which I, I got to be honest with you, Timmy, I was going to call you on Monday. I wanted to see how you did. And we're going to get to that. But I sort of unpacked it myself by saying, I'm o- it's okay to be disappointed, but I am not going to think I suck at golf because that's not going to serve me. And I'm not going to hate myself. I did a little bit. But at least this year, I didn't punch the inside of my car. <laughs> you know, I will tell you, toward the end of the show, I had a bit of an exchange I was very proud of. Um, I got a little bit, I got chirped by a guy. And you know this guy, I think. He's kind of a universal dick. But uh, I'm going to get to that at the end of the show because you're going to love the exchange. So you, O'Connor, um, I want to talk about your club championship. And then I want to talk about your experience. Did you not have your club seized this past weekend? Nope. Why did I think you did? Uh, I think I mentioned that it's cu- upcoming. It's, okay. Uh, this weekend, it's it's next. Okay. The Senior Club C. In which you are the defending uh, Super Senior Champion. Yes. I will say the guy that beat me is a just-turned-50, former Olympic 
beach volleyball qualifier from South Africa. He's six foot four. Oh my it, He hits it so far, it's outrageous. And um, and the fact that he, you know, like my best club championship, I think I shot a couple over par for two days. He shot six under for two days. So I don't feel so bad. Like, like I really was thinking I was going to shoot under par. I, I literally said this on Friday to my coach. I said, I'm feeling so good about my game. It won't surprise me if I'm under par in one of these rounds. And I quickly made two bogeys on the first two holes. I three-putted the first two holes. And I was, here's what I was proud about. As I said to myself as I was going to the third hole, I've been here before. It's just the first two round, first two holes. Don't make it a thing. Don't start keeping track of how many times you three putted. And I birdied three of the next five holes. So I was like, that's cool to do under pressure, to have a, you know access to that. And I'm standing on the ninth tee of the first round, one under for the round. And I made a double bogey in that hole. And I mm-hmm. think not that that was significant at the time because I birdied the next hole. So I birdied four of the first 10 holes of this golf tournament. But that double bogey kind of slapped me a little bit because I was kind of thinking, okay, I don't, I guess I was thinking subconsciously, I'm one under, it's a par five, you know, pretty easy five, shoot under par in the front nine, now I'm rolling, you know, now I could, maybe this is going to come true, I am going to shoot under par. And the double bogey kind of derailed me a little bit. But that to say, I, I was proud of lots of things I did. I just didn't happen to win. And that's okay sometimes, you know? I didn't grind out a top three, unfortunately. But to your point, by the time Sunday came, my body knew I was done. I was just tired. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 62. The, the hardest part to me of golf is not whether I swing correctly uh, whether I, my, my process, that kind of thing. To me, the hardest part of golf is being stuck in the story. Yeah. Being stuck in my own internal drama. And I had a conversation with one of our Quiet Mind guys uh, about a week ago. And he went from from really struggling with his game to having a breakthrough with us and then struggling again. And he, and he just said, why am I back fucking here mm-hmm. why am i back in golf hell I, I thought i'd broken through and he just said that it's just so irritating frustrating and but i said that is golf and that is life yeah. things happen and we just go why is this happening to me i've done everything i can i practice more than most of my contemporaries i read the right books i eat the right food do the right warm-up exercises how come this is fucking happening to me and that is the stuff that keeps us stuck in bad relationships works not going right and, and certainly golf and come back to what we talked about with Scott and, and with you it's, it's that awareness of oh I'm in my effing story again you know about what what I should do I thought you were going to throw down another F-bomb but I think you pulled yourself back from the brink of a triple of a hat trick there because you know I, I know things are I know it's a good show when Timmy's throwing fuck around like he's a regular guy um, no I get I, I, you know and, and that's what I you know like I, I literally gave myself the evening on Sunday to be a little bit mopey. I didn't mope on Monday. I watched an old movie that I liked and I thought about the rounds and I thought about how much good golf I did play. 
I also, you know, I had some of those thoughts like I don't make a lot of double bogeys, but I made six of them in 36 holes. I don't three putt very much anymore, but I three putted four times in, in two rounds. And you saw how I was putting. Yeah, I only, I hit 12 greens in regulation on Saturday. I birdied half the holes I played, just about, you know. I missed a four-and-a-half-foot putt on the 17th hole for my sixth birdie of the round. So I was obviously playing pretty nice golf. So I, I looked at the tournament and thought, okay, what can I what can I learn from it? Well, golf's hard, and I'm human, and, you know, I'm still, even though I'm a golf spiritual leader, I'm also still open to... Having moments of doubt and feeling sorry for myself. You know, you guys were talking about when I, I let the dog out there for a second. You guys were talking about, you know, you know, shanking a shot on the 35th hole. My coach is watching me. I'm in the middle of the fairway. Um, I'm like 147 into the wind. And I was going to hit that shot that I hit with you on uh, Thursday. That little sort of low bullet seven iron, you know, kind of a little low chippy. Like I had the shot. Tim, I almost missed the ball. I topped it into a hazard. Like, I was doing things like that. And, and, and when I say I decided to forgive myself, I literally said that. Okay, give yourself a break, Howard. Like, let's not lean too much into the, you know, pity and all that other stuff. Oh, that yeah, I, yeah. Well, that's what I want to explore, explore a little bit of that in terms of looking back at our... Um, Sogging Senior Invitational. Yes, let's talk about those 27 holes. Yeah, that, that was really fun. But just to keep the thread about, you know, self-flagellation, et cetera, yes. and, and the story. Uh, so the alternate shot is always the most interesting part of any, you know, formatted team event. Yes. and uh, But I love what uh, my friend John Gordon says. He should have, have the divorce open. You have any of these you know, married <laughs> couples are hanging on by a thread. You put them in an alternate shot, and if they survive that, well, the marriage will probably survive too. That's but, really fun. I like John. You know, there's a guy we should get on the show because he's a good talker, and, and he's a clever oh, guy. Yeah. A super guy, exactly. But the point I was going to get to was the kind of self-talk that goes on. So we played uh, in the alternate shot. We had a par five. I hit, uh, I think, I forget who hit the drive. I, I hit a very good drive. And we, yeah, it was my turn to drive. And then I think you hit a shot that was just, it was just short of the green. And I thought I had ample room to hit kind of a semi-floppy uh, that would travel maybe Fifty feet or so onto the over a bunker onto the green, yeah. and I just bladed the sucker straight over the green, and it was like, oh Tim, really? And what I was actually proud of is that I I didn't say sorry. Then why do I need to say sorry? And that I just collected myself and we. And, and we got on with it. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt good about that, that, you know, A, you didn't go, oh, Connor, what the fuck? <laughs> of course you wouldn't. It was all about fun. Are you going to just F-bomb bo- the rest of this show? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it by was the just, way, folks, this is the, this is the real, this is the real O'Connor we're listening to now, by the way. Um, <laughs> no, please continue. No, it's just that throughout the whole day, um, there, there was times in which I was going, oh, Really? But I went okay. Let that go, and and I was able to come back. And I was, 
I don't know. I, I thought he hit the ball really well, considering um, we're playing with Larry Cooper and John English, two of the best John uh, senior is amateurs name, yeah. in Ontario. Well, no, you were playing uh, with you were playing with three of the best senior amateurs in Ontario. No, I'm not being a dick about it. I'm serious though. I want to no, talk. You're hundred you're no, percent. You're hundred percent serious. And I will tell you, uh, I am correct. No, because uh, I'll tell you that. I th- here's why I say that because I thought you did well, and I'm not being condescending, but. You know, you're a, and I'm going to say this respectfully, you know, you're a, a, a very nice player, but your handicap is six or seven for a reason. Larry Cooper's yep, a plus, 100%. Larry Cooper's a plus two. I'm a plus one. Husband's probably a solid scratch. And, and sometimes, and listen, this has happened to me. I, I talked about the round the next day with a buddy of mine, because I used to be intimidated playing with those guys. But yep. I've just had enough experience. Most mm-hmm. recently, I beat Larry by a ton in a tournament, so I know I can hang with him. But more importantly, I know they know I can. But you don't know that. And, right. and, and so given that milieu where, you know, you're going to play with these three guys that are all pretty seasoned players, I thought you hit it nicely. I thought that, and I, that's why I, you know, yeah, you bladed a couple, but so did they. I mean, they, they hit some squirrely shots, you know, and... Um, well, that's that's worth that's worth diving into a little bit. I mean, here you are, here we are. I'm playing with three really, really good players, and they missed four footers. Yeah, they lift they lift left chips woefully short. Absolutely, they did. They missed fairways, missed greens. But I, I think what really good players do is that they don't get caught in the drama. That's right, and they they don't suddenly go to the Rolodex of swing thoughts how to how to correct that well and that's what I wanted to say to you today is I thought that again and I say it without honestly no condescending I don't even know if that's a word condensation Um, (laughs) but it isn't easy when you're that when you're that guy in that group. I've been that guy in that group, you know, because when I'm playing with Gortner and Dinner and Watkins I'm a scratch and they're giving me four shots so it's intimidating that being said, what you learned is that all of us, you know, can everybody hits some less than perfect shots, lots of them. Um, and I thought that you hung in there for most of the round. Yeah, there was a couple moments you got a bit, you know, uh, discouraged, but not only for a second and understandably so. It's like, you know, that's a lot of and I will tell you, like those two other guys. I hit the ball way better than they did. Like, you did. 100% you did. Like, I had a great ball striking around. Um, and at one point, Cooper, I, I was putting it. Like, oh, man, so good. I'm, I, it's ridiculous how good. I didn't make anything that day. made a couple putts. But I was all around the hole. And at one point, Cooper said to me, what would you shoot yesterday? Because I told him I had three putted five times the day before in my qualifier. And I sort of laughed. And I said, yeah, I made a lot of I said, I did all my putting yesterday. But... You know, and, he, and those guys even said, um, husband said to me, and not like a backhanded compliment, but he's like, man, you're really driving it great. And I'm like, thank you. But there was a time that I would have played with those two guys and shit the bed. The fact that you didn't, again, respectfully, I thought was impressive. You know, you hit enough good shots. You acquitted yourself well. And, you know, but for a couple, but, you know, we, we were, we beat a lot of good players. Like we were three over for the three nines, but we were three over in the alternate shot. We could have easily been even par and we would have been right there, you know? Um, so I thought we acquitted ourselves well. Yeah. What, what I think is really, um, 
is is interesting. Well, to me, uh, no, I, I was losing my thread there for a sec. Was that the only time I found that I got? <laughs> I, I hit a really terrible, I hit my worst drive of the day. In essence, a push slice was, we talked about the scoring and and we were putting it into Golf Genius and I was keeping it on the card and it was like, oh shit, I didn't keep it on, I didn't keep both teams score on the card. Yeah, and even as I'm setting up <laughs> to hit that shot, I still feel like the bad little boy who made a mistake. And I, and I the shot, <laughs> I remember Just, that. Exactly. And it was like the worst shot of the day. Yeah. But anyways, I'm coming back to kind of what some stuff we've been talking about is that these reoccurring patterns. And for me, that's what happens. To, I could, Every once in a while, I'll get stuck in some kind of story or I'll have this, this gut reaction that, oh, I did something wrong, therefore I'm a bad person. Yep. Or, and, and that throws me off. And that is what I've been working on in so many different in my golf in my life is that awareness of, oh, Connor, give yourself a freaking break. You're in the story. Yeah, you're well, in the story. I mean, again, you know, like that's not you know you play, you know, you'll play a, a handful of events, some stuff around your club, and a couple things like this, and maybe a qualifier, and you know, like Larry Cooper has played. I don't know, 500 golf tournaments in his life. Exactly. You know, like, you know, and, and I remember I played with him a couple of years ago and I was, I, him and I and South got played at Glen Karen and I was still kind of like a bit unnerved by playing with him. And it's just been the experience of playing in a bunch of tournaments where he's been a participant that that I uh, I felt very comfortable on the very first hole we played with those guys, so I have that perspective. And again, my story is I can play with these guys. That's what I tell myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're like, gee, I hope I play with well with these guys. And that's it's what everyone would think, you know. Like like I said, when I play with Dinner, Gordner, and Watkins, I hope that my good shit shows up. I'm less yeah. I'm less inclined to do that now, but still I have that. You know, we hope to play well, and, and and people do that with me. Like I'm, I've got a game this weekend, and you know, I'm, sometimes people will say, "Oh, I, you know, you know, you know, I'm playing really bad." Just want to let you know. I'm like, you don't have to let me know. It won't matter to me, right? If you are playing bad or not. So, well, the interesting perspective is that yes, indeed, when I play in any event where we're keeping score, it's going to be posted, and particularly. In an event like we played, we're playing with, I'm playing with you. I mean, I always want to play well with you. I mean, it's not unlike when I used to play with my dad. My goodness, I wanted to play well. Oh, son. It's (laughs) it's learning how to relax. Yes. That's the harder, that is the hard part. You know, I I didn't feel like I could really release a shot until about the fourth hole uh, of the day. And then I just started to, to sort of get more grounded. And I think what I'm, not I think, what I'm coming to is the fact that at the end of the day it doesn't fucking matter again what are we what is going on are you did you get high before this show I'm just kidding no it doesn't matter in fact I would say that to you I just wanted to see how you'd react yeah you're you're fuck bombs today dude anyways no one cares no one cares it it doesn't matter what you shoot it is and so as, as the round goes on it was just so nice just to 
sit, you know, stand beside Larry or John or you and just chat and make and just have a good time. Yeah. And and that was that's what made it so wonderful to me was the fact here we are on this I mean that soggy golf club I yeah. love it nice golf that course that is a lovely golf course 2024 we were, Canadian seniors there for you uh, yeah. guys listening oh absolutely and so but there we were you know what a wonderful day great golf course and the company was fabulous and we I just relaxed into that but, but that's I re- what but, matters but I want to reflect on quickly before we wrap up see the reason you're relaxed is your story got better you know what I mean like it's not like three or four holes in, all of a sudden you relax, but three or four holes in, you sort of reconfigured whatever noise was going on, whatever hamsters were uh, woken up. And of course, you started swinging better, not not because you relaxed, but you're, because the story you were telling yourself is, I'm okay, I'm safe, these guys right. aren't going to make fun of me. Whatever you thought was going to happen, playing with better players. Um, and the fact is, you pointed out, like, listen, those guys, we all hit, you know, some shots that were, you know, blocked here, pulled there a little bit. And, um, but, you know, again, I, I used to have those feelings. Like, I, I felt good showing those two guys, this is how good I am. I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, maybe part of my story was I wanted to, turn it up a notch just because i wanted i wanted larry to know that that him me beating him two weeks ago in a tournament wasn't a fluke that uh this is how i play so yeah i had my own little reason to be you know let's i'm gonna i wanted to play well for the same reasons um anyway uh so your your club championships a couple weeks uh next week is uh fitzsimmons that's gonna be great and i promised you i would tell you uh how i got chirped and how it stung Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I'm going to finish by saying this. So I get finished on Sunday. I'm in the second to last group. This Every, is Glenn Karen. Yeah. Everyone yep. can see that I've posted this score, and I felt, you know, a bit of shame. I'm, you know, I felt a little bit hot in my face, and, you know, I'd hit these, you know, again, 20 minutes earlier, I'd literally almost whiffed to swing. You know, it's just weird, right? And I'm tired and, uh, you know, I'm disappointed. I'm going to have to give... Yeah. You know, and I'm aware that, you know, I got beat by a much younger man, and that's going to happen now as I get older, and a lot of stuff. And this guy, who I won't say his name, but off the air, I'll tell you who it is, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, that guy's a fucking asshole. <laughs> so I'm on the patio in the back, and uh, I, I, I hand my scorecard in at the tent. I go to my car which is currently parked in the Senior Club Champion parking spot, which I've had for two years. And I come back into to raise a toast to the champion. I thought, you know, i got to be there. I'm not going to be a dick and drive away. But I walk in, and this guy says to me, so everyone can hear, like it's a pretty small patio, something like, I guess you're going to have to find another place to park now. Ouch. Yeah. And that stung a little bit. I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. And I got all red-faced. I know I did. I was a bit, you know, yeah. flushed. But what that guy forgot was what I've done for a living since I was 20 years old. <laughs> and I stop and say... Dealing with hecklers, you mean. Exactly. But I did. I got a little bit flushed and I was embarrassed. And then I paused and went, that's not the question you should be asking. I said, the question you should be asking is, what was it like to have the parking spot? Because you'll never fucking know. Oh. Oh. And that, and, oh. That, and that will be the last time that gentleman will poke the bear. 
That's not the question you should be asking. You should be asking, what's it like to have the spot? So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, we can't leave it there. Um, so what happened then? Nothing happened. Did it, did it get very quiet? Well, no, everyone just was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, there had to be an ooh or an ah in there well, somewhere. Well, uh, somebody, when he first said it, someone yelled, too soon. That's what they said. Because oh. I, I think everyone recognized that it was kind of an asshole thing to say. But when I tell you who it is, you'll go, oh, yeah, that guy. Everyone thinks he's an asshole. Um, anyway, thanks to Scott Fawcett. Thanks to Tim O'Connor. O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, that's how you find out more about Tim Tim. Um, and, of course, Humble and Fred Show. Uh, and uh, listen, man, we uh, unpacked a lot of stuff here today. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to say that um, what's fun about talking with Scott Fawcett is how you've learned so much from that and that you're now coaching people in Decade. And um, so, you know, I'm coaching people as well. So on my site, if you want to see about having a, a session or two with me, either about the mental game or the physical part, uh, please reach out. And uh, don't forget the TaylorMade TP5, TP5X, trusted by players like DJ, McElroy, Morikawa, Henderson, Glassman, and O'Connor. To learn more about the latest TaylorMade products, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca and NeuroPeak Pro Precision Breathing. We'll be talking a lot about that next week with Fitzy, and we'll see you next time. Coming in out of the rain to hear the jazz go down. in other place